Yes, welcome to Home Studio Q&A here on Studio Live today, our weekly show where I answer your questions about home and mobile recording. My name is Pete and this is Studio Live today where my goal is to help you create, record and release your best music and I do that through tips and tricks and tutorials and live podcast video streams just like this one. If that's your bag, consider subscribing. Today we've got a bunch of questions that have come in during the week here on YouTube and through Facebook and Instagram and other places. Plenty of ways that people get in touch with me. And we have a live studio audience here, minus the canned laughter and applause. But they are here live and they will be providing some questions as well. So if you are here live, then throw your questions down in the chat. Just put question in front in nice big capital letters. That means when I'm scrolling through, I'll be able to find your question and hopefully answer it or do what I usually do and just handball it back to the community and say, I don't know the answer, but we got uh, hundreds of people here. Maybe one of them will. That's what I like to do. Let's dive in. Before we get started, every week we have a bit of a feature topic and this week is no exception. This week, we'll be talking about online courses, more specifically online music courses. So let's jump into that and then we'll get into our questions. So online music courses, what do you need to know to ensure that you're getting value and that you're picking the right course for you? Well, let me get started with this. Online music courses or digital courses are a great way to learn and many folks have bought a course and probably got 10 times the value out of it in terms of the production advice and the help as what they've actually paid for it. So that's sort of part one of things. Part two, though, is that I also get emails and get questions and get things from a lot of people that said, Pete, I just spent hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars on a course, got to the end of it, and I'm not producing any better music. What did I do wrong? Am I a sucker? Etc. So here's how it breaks down. It really depends. So it depends on what you're looking for out of a course, and it depends on what you think you're going to get at the end of it. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the inside stuff and some of the things that you maybe uh, need to consider before you actually spend your hard-earned cash buying an online course. So things to consider. No online course is going to be the, the magic silver bullet. There's very few. And in fact, the more that they say, we're going to reveal the secrets of pr expert production, we're going to give you 10 tips that nobody's talking about. Let's be really honest. It is YouTube. It is 2020. There is virtually nothing that isn't available for free on YouTube. There are so many folks like me and like others that are creating so much content that there's very little stuff that's actually out there that you're, you can't find elsewhere. The value of courses though, the value, like you'd say, well, if I can do that, Pete, if that's right, why would I spend $49, $99, $199 buying a course from a content creator? Well, the thing is, it's all about time and convenience and having it all in one spot. So you could go and you could learn how to use GarageBand by going around to all of the different people who do GarageBand videos. You can watch mine, you can watch Dan Baker, you can watch uh, GarageBand Guide, you can watch GarageBand and Beyond, and you can find a bunch of information. But if you've just bought yourself a MacBook and you're sitting down and you're like, I want to learn GarageBand, well, going to thegaragebandguide.com and buying one of Patrick's courses is going to be a really quick fire way to get you up and running. And now there's not going to be any different information in there than there is going to be if you just go to the channel. Because again, none of this is secret stuff. Like some people, yeah, there might be some creators that are like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my very best stuff in my course. And then I just throw out all the rest of the stuff on YouTube. That doesn't really work anymore these days. So that is the, that is something to keep in mind. Make sure that you're being realistic about why you're actually doing it. A couple of things to spot uh, if you are considering a course, because again, there are excellent course creators that are creating affordable courses with a lot of really good information that are really helping people out. When I asked this question during the week, a lot of folks came back and they listed off Graham Cochran, Joe Gilder, uh, Patrick from the GarageBand guy, a lot of folks who they've purchased courses from and they're super happy with. If, however, you're, you're coming across some courses, there's some things you need to, to keep in mind. Number one is that when you sign up for someone's newsletter or that you show some interest, you'll generally go into what's called a sales funnel. Now, this might sound a bit evil. You're like, oh no, I'm in a funnel. I'm being funneled, I'm being sold to. Uh, it's not that nefarious, but keep in mind that this is an automated process that's going to tell you a little bit about if you if you sign up to something and then you get information. You've been in these, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. You'll get the first email, 
email be like, hey, thanks to the mailing list. Thanks for joining the mailing list. Two days later, you get another email. Oh, if you'd like some more stuff, we've got these things and they've got, to, they've got prices next to them. Five days, you get another email and it's like, oh, now the courses is half the price and you're getting these discounts and you get these bonus features. So again, that's not a bad thing by its nature, but keep in mind that that is what is happening. You, you, you are part of that sales funnel at that stage. And the other thing that is often and commonly used in selling of these courses, and this is something to watch out for, is something called scarcity or uh, fake scarcity as it comes uh, with digital products. So digital products are not scarce. So it's really hard to sell something. So if you see something that's launched, that's like for one day only you get it for half the price or uh, only for these next seven days, then it's going back up to its retail price. It's $499 in value, but for just the next three days, you get it for $47. That's just, that, that is a sales and marketing thing too encourage you to buy it. And again, these things are not bad inherently, but you need to realize that that's actually what's happening. Now, after I say all of that, I'm going to say this. I should have said this up the front. This is just my view and my advice. This is not to say that you need to take this on and do one thing or the other. But again, I just wanted to put it out there that if you are in the market, if you are looking to actually buy a course, be really careful because there are super reputable people selling high quality, high value courses in very honest and reputable ways. And then there are people, there's the, the rise of the fake guru. Have we seen these? We've seen the guys standing in their garage in front of their Ferraris and, and their, their rented uh, leased gear and just saying, you want some of this? And they're like throwing cash around and yeah, that sort of thing. So we haven't seen that proliferate into the music course scene too much. But again, wherever there is money to be made, people can do things the wrong way. So keep an eye out for that. Should you buy a course? Of course. Yes, I know I did that deliberately. But again, remember, sales funnels are a thing. Don't be pressured into making a decision that you don't want to make. Scarcity is not actually a real thing when it comes to a digital product. They don't run out of the ability to sell you a digital course. And most importantly, save this to the end because buying a course and doing a course is not going to be that magic bullet. You're not going to be a producer here and then as soon as you complete the course, you're up here. You, the best way to get better at creating, recording, and releasing music is to create, record, and release music. Practice makes progress. So yes, if you learn things, if you decide to buy a course, take up the information and then utilize that in your music production. But let me know, what do you think? Have you bought any courses online? Let me know down in the comments. Would love to hear what you've got to say, what you've done there. Let's jump in and start looking at some of the questions that we've had during the week here on Studio Live today. And again, if you've got a question and you're here live, drop it down in the chat. Would love to hear from you. This one's from Lyric It Fonts. <laughs> Hi, Pete. Would you kindly share if there's a way that you can pitch correct on GarageBand or the best plugin for pitch correction on GarageBand? Please and thank you. Well, whenever anyone uses a please and a thank you, I'm always going to answer your question. Uh, so auto-tune. So yes, GarageBand does have pitch control or uh, what is the other name for it? Enhanced tuning. It's a plugin that is, is on some of the vocal presets and it actually works pretty well. It's not like a Melodyne. You can't go and dial it in and get the exact sound you're looking for, exact, exact notes and, and program it and, and do it all manually, but you can turn it on and it will correct the pitch on some of your notes. I did a video just recently which was about uh, pitch correction and auto-tuning um, and doing it subtly, doing it in a way that's going to be super subtle. So uh, yeah, that, maybe if you're looking for that, check that out. If you search my name, search Pete Johns and auto-tune, you're going to find that that and other videos, but and there are other auto-tune plugins that you can actually pick up. And um, yeah, I haven't reviewed any of those as yet, but if, any, if anyone has a tip, again, I did mention this, I'll handball it out to the community. If anyone has a tip about an auto-tune plugin or how you pitch correct in GarageBand or other platforms, let us know down in the comments. And thank you again for your question there. A question here from Livy, I don't know what happened to my voice. Livy Am says, uh, yesterday I just released my first single at the same day, but until now, I still can't find my song anywhere, why? 
So here's the thing. I, I did recently, or during the week, I did a video on DistroKid. So DistroKid are the distributor that I use to release my music on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, all the other places. And uh, there's, a, there's some challenges at the moment. If you are a brand new member of DistroKid or Amuse or United Masters or any of these distributors, there's a few problems because the demand is super high at the moment. And because a lot of these companies are based in the US, uh, there's some challenges there around workplaces and lockdowns and other things that are still going on. So it is meaning that there's some pretty significant delays getting your music out there. If you're releasing music, especially if you've never released before, it can be taking two, three, four, I've heard up to six weeks to get your first song released. So there's not much you can do about it except sit tight and wait. And the good news is once you release that first song, it seems that the subsequent songs you release are going to be a lot quicker and a lot easier. So uh, yeah, just keep that in mind that if you're releasing for the first time uh, at the moment here in June 2020, at least you may need to be a little bit patient to ensure that, uh, yeah, to ensure that you can get your song out there. Uh, let's continue on here. Um, question here about connecting audio interfaces to your iPhone or iPad. Uh, SM, uh, not SM Borthwick, who's here in the chat, but SM. Uh, do you know if a Behringer Euphoria UMC 404 would be compatible with an iPhone 8 with the exact same setup in the video? So... Uh, I know if you're a regular viewer, listener to Studio Live today, you'll know this because I talk about this a lot. But here's, the, here's how it breaks down. If you have an iPhone or an iPad with a lightning connection, you can connect any class compliant audio interface with your iPhone or your iPad, but you need two pieces of gear. You need a lightning to USB 3 adapter. The genuine Apple version is what I recommend because it works and many of the others don't. And you need a powered USB hub. So they're the two bits of gear you need. I show both of them in the video. And again, there's a heap of videos over on the channel that explain these as well. But they are the things that you need to be able to connect up your interface. Now, what does class compliant mean? Well, basically... Any uh, audio interface made in the last five years from Steinberg, from Focusrite, from Behringer is generally going to be class compliant. It means it can run without the use of drivers, so you don't need to install any drivers. And that's important because on your iPhone or your iPad, you can't install drivers. So that makes it a bit of a problem. So please keep that in mind. If you are using, however, an iPad Pro that has a USB-C connection, so I've just upgraded recently to the iPad Pro with USB-C, that doesn't need the same adapter. In fact, the beauty of these is you can plug directly in. In fact, we've got some questions coming up in just a little while about using an iPad Pro with USB-C and connecting that one up. Let's continue on and go to our next question as someone drives really fast down the street. Uh, iRig Pro IO. So this is one of the products that I recommend, the iRig Pro IO audio interface. And uh, I've got a question here from AV Dude, which is, would this get audio into Facebook Live? So here's how that breaks down. I've got, I get asked this question a lot and you can just see in the corner of my screen if you're watching the video, I've got my uh, Yamaha Go Mixer Pro, my new mixer that I've been testing out lately. That is a great solution for streaming. So if you're going to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Instagram Live, I tested all of that out last weekend and we'll be doing a little bit more testing again today in the happy hour show that I do every weekend. But here's how it breaks down. Any audio interface can be used with most streaming platforms. I know that sounds super vague, but here's some of the challenges. So if you plug in your audio interface into your iPhone or iPad, it becomes the audio input and output. So as long as you can use that input and output with whatever app you're using, then it's going to work fine. Some apps get a little bit picky and you need to do things like unplug and replug them back in once you open the app to enable them to be used. Facebook, I'm looking at you, but um, for the most part, they work okay. Now, something like the iRig Pro IO or the Yamaha Go Mixer, they will mix down your audio to be mono. So basically, they'll mix things together or or stereo, but they can actually provide one input and you can decide where things go and, and it, everything will go into uh, the middle if you're doing that. The challenge is if you use something that's a two-channel interface, what they use is the left for one channel and the right for the other. 
So the biggest hurdle that folks come across is if you're using something like a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, one of the classic interfaces, or the Behringer that the last uh, last viewer was talking about, then it's going to actually put one on the left and one on the right. So a two-channel interface, if you're playing guitar and vocal, you put your vocals in channel one, your guitar in channel two, your vocals are gonna all be on the left, your guitar's gonna all be on the right. So that's why for live streaming, I recommend a mixer or a device with a single input because it's going to just put it all up the middle and it's going to make your streams sound a whole lot better. Righty dokie, let's jump on over and see if we have any questions from the folks here who are in the live chat. And again, thank you for joining me. If you're here live on uh, on YouTube or Facebook, Metallion58, one of our regular viewers says, I had a three-month course that came as a promo with my Lisa's keyboard. Haven't used it yet. Yeah, that, that's probably part two of that question. Hands up who's bought a course and either not ever actually watched it or only watched a small amount of it. Yeah, yeah, right here. I, I bought a I bought a music course for what was it? Again, it was one of the it was one of those cheap things. I think I think I only paid twenty nine dollars for it. It was like one of those. It's ninety nine dollars, but today it's twenty nine, and I bought it for twenty nine because it looked like a good deal, and it was. It was a quality course, and I watched it. But it actually came with uh, I think it came with a thirty minute Skype call with the actual course creator. Uh, I never used it. And it's kind—it's kind of like those things, you know, when you get those um, those cash back things, where you have to send it, we have to cut out the barcode, and then you have to put it in a web address, and then you have to print something out, and then you have to attach a code, and then you have to mail it off, and then three months later they send you a check that you then have to take to the bank and bank. Basically, yeah, they put put these things in so because they know that only about. 20% of people will actually do the cashback thing. I kind of feel like that with some of the courses that have all these extra things. I'm like, oh, cool, look at all this extra stuff I get. And then I never actually use it. Uh, anyway, not not really the point. Um, we'll just scroll on up and we'll see if we have a question. Once again, put question in front. That does help me find the question. Uh, here is a question from Mark Guest Guitar. Hello, Mark. Hope you're doing well. Uh, now, this may be being, me being lazy. <laughs> In GarageBand, when adding new track, it always brings up audio recorder first, and I have to scroll six times to get to external for inter-app audio. Is there any way I can alter this so that external option comes up first? Like I said, it's me being lazy. Thank you. So short answer is no, longer, more complicated answer is yes. What I've done in the past, and I must admit I don't do this much these days and I don't really know why, is you, like most things, you can set up a template in GarageBand, not technically a template, but what you can do is have a bunch of template, have a bunch of project files that just have all of the tracks that you commonly use set up. And then you just save that as your template. And then when you go to start a new song, instead of going create new song, you just go to your template, you duplicate that, you rename that as your new song name, and then you use that template. So if you are always using like four guitar tracks and you're always using four guitar tracks with uh, interrupt audio using Tonebridge, you can just set up four guitar tracks with external and Tonebridge as the actual track type and then have those ready to go. I used to use these when I was doing like a lot of band work. So I'd have like a drum drummer track at the top there that I could then easily just program in. I'd have bass, keys, guitar, guitar left, guitar right, acoustic guitar, vocal, vocal double, backing vocal one, backing vocal two. So you can actually set everything up so that you save that, you just call that track template or project template. And then every time you go to create a new track, and this works in any digital audio workstation, not just GarageBand, you go to that template file, you duplicate it, open it up, boom, you've got all your tracks there in the order that you like with all of the settings ready to go. And you can go a next step. You can even save in, you know, compressor settings you like to use, EQ settings you like to use, specific plugins that you like on your vocals, etc. So you can really save yourself shortcuts and time by using templates. Hopefully that helps you out and gives you some ideas. Let's continue on. We'll see if we have any other questions here from folks who are here live. If you do have a question, once again, just put question in front. Uh, in, in the pre-show, Asa BT, hope you're doing well, Asa. Really need to learn guitar, but I don't know where to start. Yeah, it's, it, it can be a tough one. I, I'm kind of self-taught when it comes to guitars. I, I think that the best way to learn an instrument generally is to pick it up and start playing with it and get the feel for it first. I mean, I, I don't know. Some people would say, no, that's a terrible idea, Pete. You need to do formal training from the very start. But I like the idea of getting an instrument, 
just finding my feel with it and seeing if it's going to work for me. Uh, I've used Musician, and in fact, my kids are playing around with Musician at the moment, which is an online learning platform, uh, which I'm not sure if it's going to be great. I know that uh, your vision impaired Asus, so I'm not sure if it's going to be the best, but it, it does have a lot of auditory cues, so I think it would actually be all right. So Musician's an app that I would check out. Um, and yeah, and obviously online, YouTube. Buy a course, <laughs> very relevant to what we're talking about today. But uh, yeah, go online. There's heaps of people teaching a lot of guitar stuff that uh, that can help you out. Um, let's uh, continue on. I don't think we have any other questions here, so we might jump on back. Uh, oh, we do. A question here from... A question here from Zaid Corbell. Question, what is the best iOS DAW for mixing and mastering? I use Aurea Pro and Cubasis 3, and my songs are always low compared to the industry standard. So the, the answer to this is not so much which DAW is best, because it really depends on your workflow. Uh, because the, the thing is, uh, so if I've got my iPad Pro here, and I've got, a, if you've watched the, the channel before, you know that I generally use, for, for vocal recording, say, I use my Steinberg UR22C, which is a nice qual quality audio interface for the home studio, and I use an Audio-Technica AT2020 mic. Now, when I record that into GarageBand, whether I record guitar and vocal using that exact setup into GarageBand, Aurea, or Cubasis, it's actually the same recording. It's the same analog to digital conversion. It's the same set of ones and zeros that are recording. As long as I have things like my input gain set the same. Where it's different is what plugins you then use, and in particular, how you actually balance out your levels in your mix and probably most importantly, to get it, if you're talking about that radio-ready sound, that industry standard sound, it's about mastering. So it's about how you actually master your sound and what limiter plugins that you use to actually boost up your sound and make sure that it's at a competitive radio-ready kind of volume. So if you want more information on that, if you search my name and mastering, there's a heap of questions uh, that I, sorry, there's a heap of videos, not questions, <laughs> questions too, heap of videos about mastering. And you can master directly in GarageBand, you can master in other apps like Final Touch in iOS is a good mastering app, Audio Master Pro, uh, Grand Finale by Clef Grant is a heap of options for some simple but effective mastering. And that's really the key. If you're finding that your, your tracks are sounding a bit thin, a bit quiet, they're not pumping out like uh, other tracks are when you play them next to other songs, it's probably down to your mastering. Uh, hopefully that helps you there. <coughs> Excuse me. Just have a quick scroll to see if there's any other questions. Thank you again for everyone who is here live. And the beautiful part is that uh, that some of the questions, by the time they've been asked, uh, they've already been answered in the chat anyway. So I just sort of go through. If I was smart, I would just read the chat and get the answer, and then I don't even have to think at all. It's all just automatically done for me. Uh, let's see. A question here from Oh Oh Yeah. Uh, we have... Uh, you've most likely said this before, but I'm guessing I send my tracks by email. Send your tracks by email. Uh, so if you if you talk, there's a few things there. If you're talking about uh, sending your tracks for Your Music Live, which is a show that I do uh, every week at the moment, then yes, you can email those to me, Pete at studiolivetoday.com, and put YML in the subject. Um, in terms of sending tracks around, I, if I'm copying tracks and doing things, I always use um, always use cloud services. So iCloud Drive, Google Drive, Dropbox, if you're, if you're talking about sending tracks around. Email doesn't really work, but um, yeah, if you have it on a cloud platform, you can email things. But yeah, if you if you want a if you want a song considered, if you are a, a home studio creator, you're creating your own music and independent producer, then uh, yeah, share it with me. Uh, email Pete at studiolivetoday.com with Y M L in the subject line, and it will be considered for one of my future Your Music Live shows, which are super fun and going really, really cool. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to what folks are producing and hopefully providing some valuable feedback. And I know that one of the best parts for me is that those that are there live in the chat are providing a bunch of feedback and picking up on things that I'm not picking up on as well. So that makes it extra good. Let's jump back over and see if we've got some more questions from the week here. We do. So if you are a YouTube creator, this one should be interesting for you. So I've done a couple of videos on how to edit a YouTube video after you publish it. So if you're creating tutorial videos or if you're just creating behind the scenes stuff, you edit it together, you release it, and then you go, oh, crud, I've left in like that 30 seconds of me heavy breathing into the mic. 
then you can actually edit it after you've released it. So I use this exact process for these exact shows. So if you're watching this on the replay, if you didn't see the pre-show and the post-show, it's because I cut that out. Uh, so I make sure that it just jumps straight into the show. Otherwise, you watch uh, me setting up and chatting to people. It's not. It's great for the folks here live, not so great if you're watching on the replay. So uh, that is something that you can do with YouTube. Question here is, if I delete text uh, and replace it with a new one, can I do that? So no, so you can't actually add additional stuff. So you can remove things from your YouTube videos. You can split and cut out entire scenes and entire sections. You can blur parts. So let's just say you had a part where someone's face was in there and they in, they said, no, you can't have my face in there. You can blur out their face. You can blur out numbers. If you say got a license plate number and you wanted to remove that, you can blur it out. You can do that all within the YouTube editor and you can even replace audio. So let's just say that you accidentally used, I don't know how you'd accidentally, say you didn't know that you couldn't use copyrighted music and you had that as your background music and then YouTube said, nope, you, you've been blocked now because copyright claim. Well, you can go in and replace that music on the fly and replace it with other music for your background music. So all of those things can be done. What can't you do though is add anything in. Main reason for that is imagine if you've liked a YouTube video. Say you like a video of mine and then I actually add in a whole new section with some strange and random controversial topic that you completely disagree with. Yet you've got a comment down below saying, great, Pete, I totally agree with this. Yeah, you can see a slippery slope that this creates. So YouTube only allow you to delete and remove content from a previously uploaded video. They don't allow you to add additional content to a previously uploaded video. Hopefully that helps you and anyone else that has that question. Uh, by the way, uh, Jade has put some links down here from my previous one about mastering. Yeah, there is Final Touch, which is one of the better, uh, probably my favorite still, my favorite mastering app in iOS, uh, Final Touch. It has the most options. And uh, if, you, if you've got the time, bit of a steep learning curve, but if you've got the time to learn it, uh, it can do everything. It's got like stereo widener. It's got a limiter. Uh, it's got multi-band compressor, which can be really cool for making your songs pop. And you can even do uh, things like uh, so, uh, front side processing so instead of stereo processing you can do front and side anyway it's very 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 cool uh, play around with that and uh, i've got a complete course in fact if you search my name pete john's final touch you'll find my eight path final touch mastering course which i provide for free because apparently i didn't get the memo that i'm supposed to charge you and <laughs> actually sell courses i didn't mention that at the start but i'm talking about courses and things and people are probably like pete this is it this is where pete says now, buy my course for just 49 oh, No, it's got to end in a seven. For just $47. But you get 409 No, no, I don't actually do that. So either I'm not smart enough to do that, or I just want to give you all the information for free, uh, or at least for, for advertise. Because, yeah, it, it is free. But remember, advertising is always paying for things. So even things that are free, I've said this before, if it's free, if you're using something for free, uh, then you, you are the product, basically, at the end of the day, in the nicest possible way. You know what I mean? Let's continue on with some more questions from the week. Uh, this is from Ball Hogbeat. Says, hey, Pete, I have a Steinberg UI22 and I want to connect it to my iPhone to use as a mixer for live streaming to Instagram, inputting a microphone in the drum machine. I don't have the USB adapter, but I'm wondering exactly how the audio would be sent from the interface through the iPhone. Now, I answered a similar question earlier in the show, so I won't go into super detail with this, but it's very simple. It is just the the USB audio. So if you've got a USB audio interface, uh, as long as it's the UR22 Mark II, the UR22 original version is not class compliant. I think I saw some folks chatting about that here in the chat. But yeah, you need the Mark II of the UR22 uh, yeah, UR22 Mark II or the UR22C. They are both class compliant. And then all you need is the genuine Lightning to USB 3 adapter from Apple and a powered USB hub, and you are off to the races. Can you do it without the powered hub? You can, and especially the Steinberg interfaces, they have the multi-power option, so you don't actually need the powered USB hub. You can power it via AC power or a portable USB battery uh, if you've got one of the Steinberg interfaces. And that's one of the reasons that I really like the Steinberg UR12, UR22 Mark II, and UR22C. They do a good job with that stuff. So hopefully that helped you and others looking to connect your things to your things. 
question here about copying files from iPhone to iPad to a Windows PC. Uh, now, I get a lot of comments on very old videos, and I try to sort of go back and make sure I'm keeping up with those comments to direct people to newer videos. So uh, this one was to do with a video about using iTunes file sharing to copy files from your iPhone or iPad to and from your PC. Now, it's still possible to do that, but it's kind of clunky. And to be honest, I've moved on and used different methods. So I redirected this viewer, and I'm gonna tell you the same thing, to go and check out uh, an app called Documents by Readle or Readle. It has a Wi-Fi drive feature that allows you to transfer directly over your own personal Wi-Fi network, not, not on the internet, just your Wi-Fi network from any device to any other device. It's super cool if you wanna go from iOS to Android, iOS to PC, PC to iOS, anything to anything, because it uses your browser, it transfers directly using just your uh, just the app, and then you just go to that web address. Uh, I also use Audio Share, which does exactly the same thing, but I just find it a, a bit of a cleaner interface. And because all my audio that I produce on my iPhone and iPad is in Audio Share already, it's right there, and I can just copy it across to where it needs to go. So, highly recommend uh, using Audio Share or Documents by Riaddle for Wi-Fi drive sharing. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's continue on here. Now, we, I talked briefly about USB-C, and I wanted to put this up here, so thank you to Tony Haran. Uh, this is to do with USB interface errors for Lightning-based iPads and iPhones, and he said, Pete, if you have an iPad Pro with a USB-C connection and the Magic Keyboard, the camera adapter is not needed. Simply connect Focusrite via a small USB-C to USB adapter, which is a couple of bucks, to the iPad Pro, and then the charging cable to the separate input on the keyboard. It's good to go. It works every time. Uh, yes, and in fact, even if you don't have the Magic Keyboard, you can still do the same thing. So the beautiful part about USB-C is that you can plug in directly and the iPad Pros usually have enough power to power up most of your interfaces, your microphones and everything else. So my Steinberg UR22C, uh, I could just plug that directly in here. I can't then charge it unless, as the, the viewer there said, unless I have the Magic Keyboard or a dock that has the ability to charge and do USB-C pass-through. Now, I don't have it handy, but I'm doing a review on a little device that's actually like really, really cool. It's made by Cable Creation and it's like a, it does everything and then some of what the, the, uh, the Apple version of the USB-C to USB-A and HDMI adapter does. So what that does, it means you can connect up a USB device, you can connect up power via USB-C, and the cable creation version even has a headphone jack. So it's pretty cool. Keep an eye on the channel this week. That video will be out very soon. So uh, yeah, there are, if you've got USB-C, it's going to be good. Uh, I, I do miss lightning on my iPad, I've got to admit, but I, I see the benefit of USB-C. It's only that I'm so used to setting up stuff with lightning that I'm taking a while to adjust. But USB-C definitely has some significant advantages because you don't need the genuine Apple stuff. USB-C is a, a generic standard. It's not proprietary, so you don't need the Apple adapter. I know people are going to freak out because for three years now, I've been saying every single time, no, you need to use the genuine Apple USB Lightning to USB 3 adapter for your iOS devices. Unless it's an iPad Pro with USB-C, in which case you don't. Hopefully that helps. Um, related question here about the iRig Pro IO. In fact, did I answer this? I can't recall if I answered this one. I think I remember starting to talk about it. No, it was a different question, wasn't it? Don't worry. It was about this same video. Uh, is there an iRig with USB-C cable for the iPad Pro? So interesting question. I don't believe so, unless I've missed a meeting. Uh, I don't believe that there's an iRig device, like an iRig Pro or an iRig HD device that uses USB-C specifically, but... Because all of the new generation of iRig, so the iRig HDs and the iRig Pros don't use Lightning, they use they use um, they come with a Lightning and a USB adapter. That um, IK Multimedia were pretty smart with this. They realised that Lightning wouldn't be around forever, and they wanted to make sure their devices could be used with USB or with Lightning. So all of them come with a USB cable. So the simple answer to this one is if you've got something like the iRig Pro IO, which I recommend, it's a really uh, really convenient, handy audio interface for your iPhone or your iPad. Then then just get yourself either, uh, a, well, in fact, what you need is either a converter, so a USB-A to Lightning converter, and you can plug it straight in there, or, sorry, to USB-C, or, or yeah, just a little adapter cable. So if you use the USB-A version, USB-A to USB-C cables and adapters, again, because they're generic, they're quite cheap, they're readily available, and they don't need to be expensive, genuine versions. So all you need to do is plug the USB-A cable, the regular, you know, your old school rectangular USB, plug that one in, 
and then get the, the an adapter that will convert that into USB-C, plug that straight into your iPad, you're off to the races. So yeah, it does make any of those newer iRig devices pretty future-proof and forward compatible. So hopefully that helps out there. Uh, let's move on here. I did a video about singing in the studio. In fact, it was the topic of last week's uh, rant here on Home Studio Q&A. Got a question here from Andrew Norman. What do you think about the AT2020 XLR with audio interface versus a high-end Rode NT-USB? As I'll only be plugging in headphones, USB mini, and a microphone. And a coffee coming your way. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, I do... Uh, so I, I do put a little thing down below saying, if you want to buy a Peter beer or buy a Peter coffee, uh, yeah, you can you can uh, donate to the channel. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get another delicious coffee and uh, appreciate that. <laughs> Getting off track. Um, I'm, par I'm, I'm uh, sidetracked by coffee. Let's talk about this. So we're talking high-end microphone. So high-end for home studio. Home studio microphone plugged into an audio interface or a USB microphone. So here's the thing, and we were comparing the AT2020 XLR with, a, say, a Rode NT-USB. So to make it even simpler, let's compare the exacts, because both of those mics also come in XLR and USB versions. So there's an AT2020 XLR mic, and there's an AT2020 USB version that Audio-Technica also make. The same with Rode. Rode make the NT1 and the NT1A. They also make the NT-USB. Now, the easier one is to talk about the Audio-Technica, because those are the exact same mic with the exact same capsule. So you'd be thinking... Pete, if I never need to use anything but that, should I just buy the AT2020 USB version because I'll never need to use it with XLR? Well, yes, you can. There's a couple of reasons you wouldn't. The USB microphones have a built-in audio interface. So if you think about it this way, it's like it's actually inside the microphone because it is. So when you plug it in via USB, the input and the output are all now going through that microphone. So you plug your headphones directly into the microphone, you talk into the microphone, that sends your digital audio in, and then your audio coming back out is through the headphone jack on the microphone. That's different to getting an XLR microphone because then you need to plug it into a, another device, an audio interface, which actually is the interface. That's the audio in and the audio out with your Mac, your PC, your iPhone, or your iPad. The problem, not the problem, but the, the drawback of using a USB mic is that you're stuck with that mic. If you want to change, say you want to go from a condenser to a dynamic microphone, you want to try a different type of microphone for a bit of different flavor, you want to connect a second microphone if you've got a two-channel interface to, to record stereo, you can't ever do that. You're kind of stuck with just that. Now, of course, the trade-off is they're a lot cheaper. It's a lot cheaper to buy a USB mic of the exact same mic and capsule. So the AT2020 USB, I can't remember. I want to say it's about 160 and the XLR version of the AT2020 is about 120 So you pay about $40 extra for the built-in interface. But of course, you're going to pay a lot more than $40 for something like a Steinberg UR22 or a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2. So that's the trade-off there. And because it's kind of like those cheaper end mixers that have like eight channels, they're not going to have as high quality preamps as a two input audio interface because they have to cram a lot more stuff in for the price. It's the same with a USB mic. The audio interface is not going to have the same quality of preamp and the same quality digital analog to digital converter as you're going to get in a standalone dedicated interface. So there's always going to be a bit of a trade-off in quality using a USB microphone. Now, I say all of that and then I'm going to say if you want, if you got the budget to just buy a USB mic, they are actually a great way to get into recording because you can just point them at whatever you want to record. They are plug and play. You don't need to mess around with a lot of things and a lot of the, the, the Rode and the Audio Technica and the Blue, the, the, the higher end Yetis, they have some really good quality audio sound. There are even some that are 24-bit now that have got nice sampling rates. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's my recommendation there. If you've got the budget to go for an XLR mic and an audio interface, I'll always recommend that because it gives you future-proofing. It gives you the ability for more flexibility down the track. If you just want a high-quality way to record right now and you're not concerned about upgrades, USB microphone is a good way to go. Continuing on here, quick drink. And then we'll continue on. Uh, Tamer Shake says, is there a way to set the album price for free with DistroKid? If not, is there a similar distributor who can release it on multiple platforms for free? Really interesting question. And I, I thought I'd throw this out because I've never actually had this question before. So no one's ever wanted, for whatever reason, no one's ever wanted to release their music for free and charge nothing and not make royalties. Most folks are like, well, 
if someone wants to stream or buy my music, I'm happy to make a few dollars here and there. Uh, but yeah, there are more and more people that just want to share their music. Now, a couple of options for free, sh free sharing. You can, of course, uh, upload to YouTube, share your music there. That's free for you and free for viewers, uh, although they may get advertising uh, if it's YouTube. SoundCloud is a good option for for uploading free music and having folks able to stream it for free. And if you want to, say, put an EP or a band or an album out, Bandcamp is actually really cool. Bandcamp have a cool few cool features. You can provide free downloads, or what a lot of folks do, which is actually cool, is you can do a name your price. A name your price can include $0. So if you want to put an EP out there and you want to say to folks, here you go, you can download it, stream it, buy it for free, buy it for free, get it for free. Or if you want to chip me a dollar, five bucks, 10 bucks to buy it, then you can be feel free to do that as well. So I know a lot of independent artists use uh, Bandcamp for those reasons and it works out well for them. So uh, hopefully that helps you out. But yeah, no, the distrib distributors don't allow you to do it mostly because if you think in terms of uh, Apple Music or Amazon or any of the few, no, it's not Apple, it's iTunes or Amazon. I think they're the only, or Google Play Store. They're the only ones that have sales anymore or let you let you sell music uh they're not going to go to the effort of distributing your music if there's no chance anyone can buy it because they make their money from the 30 percent commission that they take so if you're selling an album for ten dollars on itunes itunes will take three dollars for every ten dollar sale and now if you're selling it for zero dollars 30 percent of zero yeah you can do the mathematics on that one <laughs> Question here from Brandon Slick. Now, the video there was uh, my new T-shirt is on the merch store available now. Uh, so you might be thinking this is just a random plug and a shill for my uh, for my merchandise store. But yes, there is a new T-shirt available now. But I'm not talking about that. Uh, it says, Pete, how do you manage space on your device when you continuously make beats for a while? Do you recommend or use secondary storage device? Very, very cool question. Uh, yes. So I grappled with this for a long time. Uh, early on, I would use my default amount that iTunes, that uh, Apple gave me, which was, how much is it? Is it like, it's 100 gigabytes? Is it 50 gigabytes? It's not a lot. Uh, so I found very quickly that in my family, uh, with all the different iPhones and iPads that we had, plus all my GarageBand projects, yeah, I was constantly having to shift things around just to back up my phone and make sure I had space. So I took the plunge. I didn't love doing it. But I pay $15 extra per month for two terabytes of storage with iCloud Drive. And it has been very worthwhile for me because I share a lot of stuff. I can share music. I can back up all my devices. Every time I'm working on a new project, if I'm doing client work, it's already shared out there in iCloud Drive. I can share that with them. So for me, it makes sense. If you don't have $15 per month, or I think it's $10 per month US to throw around, there are other options. So you can zip up your projects and then put them on a USB drive. I use that quite a lot. You can zip them up and put them on Google Drive or Dropbox or one of the other free cloud storage platforms. I also use that quite a lot. Um, or you can, uh, yeah, well, that's basically it isn't it? They're the options you have. Or you can share them over to your PC or your Mac and just, just save them uh, separately on your PC or Mac. Again, if you're using a PC, make sure you zip them up because PCs don't play nicely with Apple file formats for things like iMovie and GarageBand. Make sure you zip them before you flip them. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and Jade, who is uh, is someone that uh, that I that I trust and uh, and recommend her channel. She also pays for the two terabytes. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's worthwhile. And uh, and while we're talking about it, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jade. You can do my shilling for me. I feel better um, when I don't actually do it myself. But no, the, the new T-shirts are actually pretty cool. I've just ordered uh, I've just ordered a few for me to have here and, and for me and my wife because uh, yeah, I've got a new rainbow logo T-shirt. Uh, I know I'm very late to the party. It's been Pride Month for the last 29 days, and on the very, very last last minute, um, I did a new design with sort of a rainbow little thing on there. It looks kind of cool. Anyway, jump over to studiolivetoday.com/slash/merch to check it out. And uh, Bubba has confirmed yes, it is 50 gigabytes. So 50 gigabytes fills up super quick, uh, and uh, yeah, you do run out of space pretty soon. But if you do upgrade to the two terabytes, it just makes life easier. And I know, I know. Before I get the comments about paying the Apple tax and about being stuck in the infrastructure yeah i made my peace with that about five years ago so yeah you, you can you can tell me you can complain about it you can put the comments on I, I won't be fussed by it i'll probably just nod and agree and go yep it's not really cool just like paying 65 dollars for a piece of plastic to plug in my usb device to my iphone uh yeah i don't love paying 15 dollars a month for two terabytes of storage but it is the best way to do it and it works for my workflow and i think for my case it pays for itself and it, it'll only take me to lose one major sort of client piece of work 
for the year uh, for, for me to, to pay that back. Because if it's backed up there, I know it ain't going nowhere. And it's always going to have a backup in at least two places, which is important for backing up your stuff. All right, a couple more questions here. Then we'll see. We'll check back with the folks live and see if we've got any final questions. This one uh, is an interesting one because we are here in June 2020, and uh, Ruben, uh, one of the one of the great supporters of this channel, says, uh, "If I was do, doing music in 2018, I would have already bought this." So <laughs> I was. It, it's weird. It's a video that uh, I did best audio interfaces for under $100, and at that point, the Steinberg UR12 was selling for $49 which is kind of ridiculous. It was a great deal, and I know a lot of folks jumped on at the time. Uh, Ruben says, now it costs about $330 on Amazon. Are there any really good cheap audio interfaces that are good under $30 on Amazon that are selling right now? So here's the problem. It's an issue with um, it's an issue with the, 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 the supply and demand. So again, because we're here in June 2020, it's an interesting time in the world. Uh, the majority, I'd probably say all, I'll go out on a limb and say all of the audio interfaces are made in China. Uh, there is challenges with the manufacturing going on at the moment. There's additional challenges with the actual transport and distribution of goods. So what's happening is that wholesalers, uh, so retailers have started running out of stock. The wholesalers that sell to the retailers are now starting to run out of stock. And the producers and the distributors of the gear are now starting to run out of stock. So it started with, yep, yeah, Amazon are running out and Sweetwater are running out. It's now at the point where the people that supply them are running out of stock. And now we're right at the point where the actual manufacturers are unable to manufacture enough to keep up with demand. So it's kind of like the toilet paper situation we had here in Australia. And like the toilet paper situation, what the manufacturers will probably start doing is making a whole bunch of this stuff that's all out of stock and we'll see an influx of stock in the coming months. So yes, right now, as of June 2020, I know it sucks, but don't pay the exorbitant prices because again, unfortunately, whenever something like this happens with supply and demand, there are people out there that are going to try to gouge people. When we first went into this whole lockdown situation, there was webcams and computer monitors and USB headsets were all selling on eBay for like two and three and four times their retail price because people just had to have them. They had to work from home. They didn't have a webcam or a microphone or a headset because they're office provided it they couldn't go to the office they had to buy this stuff people were uh, um yeah what's well, a nice word for it um taking advantage of ripping them off uh yeah being bad people so don't don't pay the the tax for that right now you may just need to sit tight find some things that are in stock um in the u.s Sweetwater still do have some stock of some gear um, but yeah, a lot of it is on back order and coming in soon. So hopefully, uh, as, as I said, the, the other part of what I was saying is hopefully we'll get to the point where the market will get flooded when these suppliers get them all back and then they'll have too many. And then they'll have uh, a bunch of closeouts and, and deals and things. So hopefully that happens uh, around about Black Friday. Could be a good Black Friday if, if the manufacturers can get back to full production or at least some production and we get a bunch of stuff back out there. One more question here, and then we'll finish off here with the folks live. Uh, Peter, I have a question since I'm new to all this. How do I hook up a headphone amp to an audio interface? Sorry if this is a dumb question, and thanks, Nivas. Not a dumb question at all. So a headphone amp, if you haven't used these before, is a way to usually amplify your headphone signal, but it can also give you multiple headphone outs. So say you've got a two-channel audio interface, what you can do, and the way you hook it up to answer this question is you plug in the line out from the audio interface into the line in on a headphone amp, you then plug in all your headphones and then you plug, it's got a throughput, so then you plug the output from the headphone amp into your speakers. So that means that you can have all of your mixer or your audio interface doing its usual stuff, but instead of going out from the headphone out of your mixer or your USB interface, you plug through, it basically goes between your mixer and interface and your speakers, and it gives you a bunch of uh, amplified headphone jacks. Can really help if you're recording bands and you need a bunch of people to have different headphone levels and different mixes in their headphones. That's a very basic explanation of it, but hopefully that helps you out. Alrighty, uh, we are way over time. I did, I did warn that we would be over time today. I was, I was in a talking mood. And uh, we will jump over and see if we've got any final questions from the folks who are here live. We'll scroll on up. I think I saw the word question pop up there at least one time. So I'm just going to check and see what we've got. Sorry, a lot of folks are chatting here, chatting about different, uh, different devices that they're using. Uh, question here from Lee. 
So Lee Davies, uh, who, who put me onto the Roll and Go mixer, uh, says, question on the Roll and Go mixer, you have MP3 import input. Could you do similar on the Focusrite 2i2 somehow? Uh, yeah, so this is a good question. So on my Roll and Go mixer pro, which is the one that you can see there if you're watching on the video, uh, I have you have the ability to uh, to plug in via a three and a half mil stereo input. So you can plug in a, uh, not an MP3 player, who uses an MP3, but you know what I mean, an, an iPhone or an iPad or some external device, and you can plug it straight in there via three and a half mil. If you've got an audio interface, you can plug in a stereo signal. So if you've got a, a Scarlett 2i2 or a Steinberg UI22, you can still do that. You'll just need a three and a half mil to two TS cable. It's going to be an unbalanced signal because it's coming out of a stereo, um, stereo three and a half mil jack. And then you plug that directly in and then you'll have to just put your two channels in there, pan one left and one right, and you can record stereo in. Of course, unlike the mixer, you can't then have stereo input coming in and then play over the top. You'd need a four-channel input, four-channel interface at least to do that. You'd need two channels for the stereo in from whatever your backing track is and then an additional channel or two for your mic or your guitar. So short answer is that yes, you can, but it's going to use your two inputs and it's going to use everything that you need there. Let's just finish up and, and check out if we've got any other questions here. I think we've covered most of them. If I didn't get to your question, then please uh, jump down into the comments after this video and ask your question there. I'm always down there uh, checking out what you folks have to say. Uh, let's just say a final farewell and, and catch up with some of the chat here. Danny Elliott is here. Appreciate all of your support here. A lot of folks talking about optimizing performance. Uh, yeah, one of the t-shirts that I released a while ago was an optimizing performance t-shirt and I asked for feedback and a lot of folks said that I don't want to I don't want to hear about optimizing performance it, it, it happens uh, it happens too much and I, and I don't like it um, but yes I do have an optimizing performance video explaining what optimizing performance is why it happens and uh, what you can do about it which is not much not a whole lot you can do about it, though I have noticed, uh, I think Tim, you were asking about this, I have noticed since I've upgraded to the iPad Pro, I haven't had optimizing performance yet. Touch wood, touch wood. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> and final, we'll make this the final question from Mark Guest. He said, one final question, did you have someone held in your basement? And if so, did you let them go free? I can't even remember why I was saying this, but there was some sort of comment uh, in, in one of my one of my posts about, yeah, about someone made some weird comment and I said, I don't have anyone held in my basement, or at least I don't think I do. Uh, yeah, it was a throwaway comment. Uh, the truth of the matter is I don't have a basement. So there you go. I do have a Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs, but I promise that there's nothing in there except for probably toilet paper at this point in time. <laughs> So uh, yeah, take that for what, what for what you will. Uh, thank you for being here, folks. It has been we've we've gone way way over time this time. As I say every week, I try to make this thirty minutes. And what are we? We're, we're pushing about fifty minutes here now. So uh, thank you all for being here today. Uh, if you want to catch up on some other shows here on the channel. If you're watching live later today, in two hours' time, in fact, we have the happy hour by request. So I'll be, I'll actually be showing you a bit of behind the scenes about how I learn how to play songs, how I use ultimate guitar to work out the chords, work out what key I play them in. So it'll be hopefully a bit of fun. It'll be half educational and hopefully half entertainment or, or you know, something like that. That's the plan anyway. So uh, join me for that in two hours' time. And uh, tomorrow we have GarageBand Users Weekly. Not today as I had the wrong live thing set up. So apologies once again for anyone who was hanging out uh, waiting for GarageBand Users Weekly. That is actually tomorrow. So if you're watching here live, you can check that out. You can, of course, go to studiolivestoday.com. That's where you can find all of the information. You can join the crew on Patreon, patreon.com slash Pete Johns. You can join the email list. You can check out my gear guide over there if you are in the market and if you can find something that's still in stock. These headphones are on special, by the way. These Sennheiser HD 280s at the moment, if you're listening live or watching live, are $79 on Sweetwater, just quietly. So there is still some stuff, some quality gear in stock. Uh, and where was I? Yes, and of course, you can find all the ways to follow me on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, um, and all of the other places. Thank you, folks, for being here. Hopefully, I can catch uh, some of you in two hours' time, if it's not too late in your part of the world, for the happy hour. And if you're watching on the replay or listening on the podcast, thank you. Uh, like the show if you liked it. Comment and subscribe if you've got something that you want to say. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.